Good morning, church. As you heard Pastor Jonathan say just a few moments ago, this past Wednesday did mark the beginning of the season of Lent on the church calendar. As you may know, Lent is a period which covers about 40, which covers 40 days and leads up to Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Lent began early in the life of the church. And it was a time of fasting and of preparing new candidates who were going to be baptized and welcomed into the life of the church on Easter Sunday. And then over the years, it has also become a time when many Christians take time for self-examination, for reflection and repentance. It is a time when we particularly focus on the practice of spiritual disciplines like Bible study, prayer, and fasting in order to help us grow closer to God. This past Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service, Pastor Sue Lee challenged us to consider fasting this year as a congregation, whether that would be from food or social media or perhaps something else that tends to draw you away from your focus on God. This year, during Lent, our church is going to be studying the book of Jonah. Now, many of our life groups and classes are going to be studying this book together using our Bible reading plan, and a couple of new groups have even formed to help you get plugged in and not miss out. Now, Jonah is one of the book of the 12 minor prophets found in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. It's not a very big book. It is often remembered for the big fish that swallows up Jonah. And so it often gets relegated to children's church and to storybooks. But Jonah has a lot to teach us. It is a story of how God's grace triumphs over human weakness and sin. It will make us confront some truths about ourselves that we are not usually very comfortable even thinking about. Jonah is a story about God's compassion and his longing for all people to come to him. It's a story about running away and returning, about illusions and disillusions, about disobedience and then spiteful obedience and about a world that is completely transformed by God's grace. Jesus himself saw the story of Jonah as central to everything that he was doing through his death and resurrection. He even referred to it as the sign of Jonah. And today we're talking about heeding the call of God. Now the story of Jonah begins this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Have you ever not wanted to go somewhere? 
How many times have you said or thought to yourself, I don't want to go and do that? Usually when I say something like that, I end up having a really good time when I finally do go. But, you know, getting up the courage or the desire to go can be a real challenge. Sometimes we get invited to go to an event that we're really just dreading. Maybe it's to a party where you're not really going to know very many people. Maybe it's to an event that your spouse really wants to attend, but you, not so much. But what about when the call comes from God and God asks you to do something you really don't want to do? That's what happens in the very opening scene between Jonah and God. This story is about a man who does not want to go. It's so much more than a fish story. It's really a faith story. Jonah is the story of a man who disobeyed God and was made by God to confront his reasons for not going. The story begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah and saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God's call to Jonah is one sentence long. It is clear it is concise. There can be no mistaking what God is asking Jonah to do. In the original language, three divine commands are giving, given. Arise, go, and cry or preach. God tells Jonah to arise or stand up, which to me sounds like God wants Jonah to do it right now. He tells him to go, and he tells him where to go, to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And God tells Jonah to cry against or preach against Nineveh because the evil of Nineveh has come up before God, and it is staring God right in the face. Something has to be done, and that something involves Jonah. <laughs> but Jonah isn't having any of it. Oh, he does arise, and he does go, but not to Nineveh. He goes down to the port city of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea. He finds a boat heading west, which is in the opposite direction from Nineveh. He pays his fare, he gets on board, and away he sails. Now, to be fair to Jonah, he had some pretty good reasons not to want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which had dominated the earth for about 300 years. The prophet Nahum details the crimes against Nineveh. They were brutally militaristic. They exploited the weak and the helpless they plotted against the God of Israel, and they were filled with idolatry, prostitution, and witchcraft. 
Now, Joseph, Jonah was probably afraid of the Ninevites and Assyria. He feared for his safety if he were to go there. I mean, the Assyrians hated the Jews every bit as much as the Jews hated the Assyrians. Imagine if God told you to go preach against Iran or North Korea today and to share the gospel with them. Would you get up and go right away? Or would you maybe run in the opposite direction too? So Jonah decided to ignore God's call. And he got on the first boat he could to take him as far away as he could go in the opposite direction from Nineveh. God had called Jonah for a mission. But Jonah didn't want to go. Oh, how like Jonah we are sometimes. Every single Christ follower is called by God to the mission field. God calls each and every one of us to be deeply involved in some kind of hands-on personal mission. And God wants to use us so that we can be a blessing to other people for the cause of Christ. God is calling us to risk anything, to do anything, to change anything in order to help other people experience the life-transforming power of God and to be encouraged to walk with Jesus into the mission field themselves. Now there are all different kinds of mission fields. Some of us are called to faraway places where the language, the culture, and the customs are strange or different. But most of us are called to the mission field of our own neighborhood, our own workplace, our own school classroom, the stores that we frequent, the restaurants we go to eat at. Our mission field is wherever God plants us. Our mission field is where God has placed us in life. And maybe that scares you. Does it make you tremble a little bit to think that you have a mission from God, that you are a missionary? Well, if it does, you're in good company. Because God has called men and women since the very beginning of history, and there has almost always been some angst involved. Take Abraham as one example. One day God said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a very welcome call to me. It doesn't sound very convenient to uproot everything I have and move away. It doesn't sound very comfortable to go somewhere you've never even heard of before or live among people that you've never even met before. Moses is another great example. One day Moses was out tending his sheep and he saw a burning bush. And God told Moses to go back to Egypt and to free his people from bondage and slavery. Well, Moses was so terrified that he hid his face from God and he said, God, they're not going to believe me. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. And not only was Moses not a good speaker, Moses had a past in Egypt. He had done some bad things there. He had killed a man. There was a warrant out for his arrest if he went back to Egypt. Isaiah had a really different reason for resisting God's call to him. 
You might remember the story. One day he was sitting in the temple in Jerusalem, and suddenly and completely unexpectedly, he had the most astonishing vision. He saw God seated on God's throne, and there were angelic beings that were flying all around that throne, and the temple shook like a great earthquake, and then it filled with smoke, and Isaiah immediately was overwhelmed by the presence of God so overwhelmed that he fell flat down on his face and he cried out, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips. You see, Isaiah's objection was that he wasn't holy enough. He didn't think he was spiritual enough, good enough. How could you call me God? Maybe he didn't think he knew the Scriptures well enough, but God called him anyway. God also called Jeremiah, and Jeremiah protested that he was too young. My friends, there is always an excuse. In the ninth chapter of Acts, a man called Ananias was minding his own business, having his quiet time with the Lord in his home in Damascus, and suddenly God interrupts Ananias' quiet time Acts 9, 11 says, The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias doesn't sound like he wants to go, does he? He's afraid. He's heard all the bad reports about Saul. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument. In the New Testament, we have a doctrine that is called the priesthood of all believers, and it can be found in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. It reads this way You, you are the people of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, claimed by God and given the mandate to proclaim the triumphs of the one who has called them out of darkness to light. Peter is not talking just to full-time paid church workers. And he's not just talking to the pastors. He's talking to you and you and you, to every single one of us, to every single Christian. My friends, nothing will ever stop the growth of the church more than the idea that it is the pastors who are paid and hired to do the ministry. No, pastors are actually called to equip the people of God, that's all of us, to do the ministry of God. Sometimes I've heard people say, but pastor, I'm just a lay person. I'm not trained or I don't know the Bible very well. But that flies in the face of what 1 Peter is saying and what the Scriptures teach. 
We don't belong to an institution that is hierarchical, that only the top level does the work of ministry. No, we are the body of Christ. Every single one of us does the work of ministry. But it is true that very few of us actually feel adequate to respond to God's call. We stand in good stead with Isaiah or Abraham or Moses or Jeremiah. But for some reason, we are the people that God has chosen to use. And God can do something with people who see their inadequacies and all of their shortcomings. And instead of focusing on those, focus on the power of God and put their trust in God who can accomplish everything. God rarely chooses people who are particularly holy or intelligent or imaginative or daring. He doesn't call us when it is convenient or welcomed or comfortable. When God asks us to do something, it's not so much that he believes that we are so capable to do it, but that he wants to see if we are willing to try that for which we feel totally unprepared to let God do it. I mean, God doesn't look at me and say, hey, Mark Putman has these skill sets, these talents, these abilities, so I'm going to give him this job to do. No, what I find is that God looks at me and he says, I'm not sure what Mark is good at, but you know what? I'm just going to ask him to trust me and to say yes and to step out into this unknown thing, even if he is over his head. I remember way back when God called me to seminary, or when I felt like God was calling me to seminary, I felt so woefully inadequate, I couldn't put it into words. And then I finally did start seminary, and I felt even more inadequate. I looked around, and every single other person there seemed to be far more qualified and capable than I was. But the truth is, it's not about you or me. It's about God's mission. And it's not about just doing good things for other people. You can do lots of good for other people without God. There are a lot of good people in this world who do a lot of good things for other people and they never give one single thought about God. But for us, for those of us that follow Christ, for every Christian, it is about doing what God calls us to do. It's about getting outside of our comfort zone but mostly it's about helping people find Jesus and bringing glory to God in the process. It might be reckless or distasteful or dangerous. Your family and friends might think you're weird for doing what God calls you to do. Now, people don't usually mind us when we're just slightly religious, when we go to church on Sunday, but it doesn't make any difference in our lives. That's okay. People don't get upset about that. They might even think you're going to church is a good thing. Your coworkers, your family and friends might think, oh, maybe she'll clean up her language finally, or maybe she'll dress a little nicer, or maybe she'll finally get her act together. I don't know. But when people see your faith start radically transforming your life, when it affects your lifestyle, the choices you make, where you spend your money, how you vote, all of those things, people get uneasy. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas 
felt a call to go to Macedonia. They went. They didn't even have a plan. They didn't know what they were going to do once they got there. And they arrived in the city of Philippi. They met there a young woman named Lydia. And through their conversation, she came to faith in Christ. And she and her whole household were baptized. And do you know what happened next? A crowd gathered and beat the heck out of them, told them to get out of town, but not before they threw them into jail first. Can you imagine? They get kicked out of Philippi, and the next town they go to is Thessalonica. They start talking about Jesus again, and again, a riot breaks out. People get beat up, and Paul and Silas have to leave town in the middle of the night. And you know what the people were complaining about? The crowds were complaining about? These men have come here to turn the world upside down. I mean, what would compel a person to go from town to town if they knew they were just going to get beat up or thrown in jail or chased out of town? Who in their right mind would want to do something like that? You heard Pastor Jonathan say during our announcement time and watch the video that every year our church takes a, a, a mission trip, makes a mission trip in the month of October to Mexico. And there we work at an orphanage. And in fact, as you heard, there, you can get some more information. If you just want to explore the option of going, no obligation, you can find some folks in the atrium after worship today, find out a little more information. I've known people who have gone on that trip with fear and trembling, but they went because they felt like God was calling them. And then when they got back, you could just see in their face, you could hear in their language that the trip had absolutely changed them. Just like the Wadleys said, they were so happy that they had gone. I've talked to other people who have gone out sharing the gospel in local shopping centers right around here or at a local apartment complex down the road. And before going, they were nervous and they were jittery. And they kept saying, like, what am I going to say? What should I do? And then I remember how they came back talking nonstop about how good it felt to make a positive difference in someone else's life in the name and for the sake of Jesus. Why, just this past week, I was talking with one of our church members who came out to pray with people in our new drive-through prayer ministry, which happens right out our front door on the front driveway several Thursdays each month. She said it was way outside of her comfort zone, but she felt like God was calling, and so she decided to do it anyway. Well, there was a man driving by and he decided to pull in for a prayer about a difficult situation that he is going through at work. And about one minute later, that's all it takes, he was on his way again, a tear trickling down his face, feeling like now God is with me as I face this. So what makes a person travel to another country to help people in need? What makes a person step out of their comfort zone and try something new? Well, I believe that it's because people are longing for God's leading in their lives. All of us want to do something that gives our lives significance and purpose. We want to be used by God to make a difference in the world 
That's why God created us. That's how God made us. So what is God calling you to do? Do you know what it is already? Is there something that you've been thinking about that just you can't get it out of your mind, it won't let you go? Is there something that you feel a sense of urgency about, something that you see in the world or in our community that needs to change? Maybe it's a ministry with the homeless or those getting out of prison. Maybe it's leading a small group or visiting with the sick or in a nursing home or bringing change in our community. Maybe there's something that just won't let you go, but you don't quite have the courage to say yes yet. What would it take to change that no way to an okay? <laughs> like Jonah, are you hearing the word of the Lord say to you, go to that great city? Well, if you are, listen to that word. Obey that word. Don't run in the other direction and don't be content to just sit and do nothing. I know one person in our church who had gone through a divorce, and so he felt compelled to help other people who were going through the same thing now. And that person helped form our first ever divorce care group. I knew another person who was asked to volunteer in the church youth group, and she felt so underqualified and scared that she said no several times until finally she said, yes, I'll volunteer. And after a year or two, and God really using her, she ended up being hired as the youth director, where she stayed for 15 years, really impacting so many lives of young people. My friends, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that God has a place for every single one of us who follow him. He has given you unique talents and gifts that are just essential for his plan for you. And the secret to living a life filled with joy is to discover what those gifts are and then use them to the glory of God. My friends, we will find the greatest joy when we are doing what God created us to do. And helping you find what your calling is, is one of the things we love to do most at Anderson Hills it's a part of who we are. It's, it's what we want to do. We, wanna, we want every single person to find joy in serving in some way, shape, or form within the body of Christ. We want everyone in this congregation to say, here I am, Lord. Use me. And we want to celebrate today and say thank you. So here's what I'm asking you to do. As you sit right where you are today, would you raise your hand if you have ever volunteered and helped serve the babies in this church? Go ahead, raise your hand if you've ever done that. Now, would you also raise your hand if you've ever in the past or right now are serving in the student ministry of our church? Other hands are going up. It's good to see. Would you raise your hand if you have ever 
um, in the past or now serving as a small group leader or a Bible study leader or an adult Sunday morning leader? Amen. I see other hands going up. How about raising your hand now if you are serving in arm? Would you raise your hand? That's our men's ministry. Would you raise your hand if you're serving in our music ministry or our worship ministry? Would you serve if you are, have served in a leadership role on one of our committees or one of our membership teams? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand as, if in the past or now you're serving in one of our outreach teams like Interfaith Hospitality Network or WizKids or Appalachian Service Project or if you've gone on the mission trip to Mexico, would you raise your hand now? I see others going up. Would you raise your hand if you've served as a leader in United Methodist Women or our men's ministry or Amen? Would you raise your hand if you've served in any one of our caring ministries like Stephen Ministry or our Open Arms Ministry or our prayer groups? If you believe that you have heard God's call and have said yes at some point in your life, would you raise your hand? Every one of us. Well, some of us are still trying to discover our calling, and that's okay. We keep asking God, ask, what are you calling me to do, Lord? Keep discerning how you want to be a part of God's movement to change the world, because there's a place for you, my friend. There's a place for you here at Anderson Hills. Would you pray with me? God, for everyone here today that has heard your call and said, yes, I will go, here I am, we are so grateful to you, so thankful to you. What a difference your people make in the world. And God, for those of us who are still listening, for those of us who are still working on it, for those of us who are still searching, for those of us that may even feel inadequate or uncertain where you are leading, Lord, would you grant us clarity, discernment, and strength? Would you do that until every single one of us says, here am I, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name, amen.
would like someone to pray with you about a particular call that you are sensing from God right now, we'll have some prayer partners at the end of our sung benediction right down here in the front. I invite you to come down and pray together with someone about that or anything that might be on your heart today. Our prayer partners would love to pray with you. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all forever and ever. Amen. Amen.